This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the Word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to a live broadcast. In fact, this is our last broadcast live of 2019. I always say this, but where did the time go? I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And this is the Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions, life questions, whatever's on your heart and mind. I'll do the best I can. You need only to call us. You can dial 210-340-9585. That's 340-9585. If you live outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. Numerically, that's 630-5757. You can email your question by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can send them in using our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. If you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the Call Now banner at the top of the screen, and you'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Hey, I want to apologize as we begin for the the snafu Friday we were here. We did our 245 sound check, our 345 sound check, and something between 345 and 4 o'clock broke, and we were unable to get a signal. So we were here, and I really was hopeful to do the show, Uh, but... We just didn't have the ability to do it. But we're here live today, uh, tomorrow uh, for New Year's Eve and the following day, New Year's Day. Uh, we will have rebroadcast programs. Um, we won't be here live, but we'll be back Thursday, Paul and I, for the Date Day Edition, and Friday. And then uh, we will be back on normal schedules. And for this guy who loves routine, getting back on the normal schedule uh, just can't happen fast enough. Hope you had a great day in church yesterday. We did at Calvary Chapel. There was a ton of people here. Some people got saved. That's always a neat thing. And I pray the same thing happened at your church. Well, let me begin with a question that I meant to answer early Friday. We got it, and I obviously couldn't do it live. So it's an anonymous question from our email inbox. Uh, And he or she says, my mom is doing card readings at her residence. Should I be concerned about visiting? Uh, Anonymous, what you should be concerned about is your mom. Now, I I know you are. That's probably um, um, obvious, but um, you don't have to be afraid. We Christians don't have to be afraid of of the occult. We don't have to be afraid of the enemy. We don't have to worry about things. Um, Remember, we're, we're protected by the Lord. And if we're with Jesus, we don't have to worry about the enemy. He can huff and he can puff and he can threaten to blow our spiritual house down. But the truth is, he's a liar. And all he can do, the only thing he can do is threaten. And I think sometimes we get so frightened that we don't want to be around it. You know, that's evil. Um, but your mom needs you to visit. She needs you to visit because she needs to see the light in the middle of the darkness in her home. Uh, And you need to be telling her the truth about Jesus at every opportunity. I think it's really important. But no, you're not going to get those spiritual cooties, so don't worry about that. Um, So visit. Obviously, you're not going to get involved in any of the readings, and and you're going to be taking a stand against what she's doing. But, But explain to her why. Mom, I can't imagine heaven without you. And if you died now, or if Jesus came for the church and he's going to come soon, then you'd be left behind or you'd be sent to an eternity in hell. 
and I can't imagine being in heaven and you not being there. So, Mom, please see the light and then pray for her. That's all you can do. But don't go away. Um, that's pretty important. She needs to see that light. So thank you for the question, Anonymous. Sorry I didn't get to it on Friday. Let's go to line one. Uh, Alan on uh, from San Antonio, Texas. Alan, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. Hi, Alan. I um, went to Colorado during Christmas and uh, Christmas, my brother and sister-in-law, and they took me to their church, a Lutheran church, and the the minister is a young uh, female pastor. I'm not sure what to call it, but and my brother asked me what I think about her, and I thought, well, I thought she uh, gave the word of God really well, but uh, the Bible uh, forbids uh, females to be ministers or pastors, and and I know that that's that's what you always talk about, and I I couldn't give him the reference, the Bible reference. Can you help me? I sure can. Uh, it's First Timothy chapter two, I think it's verse twelve, Alan, where uh, the the whole issue there, the context is order in the church, how orderly worship should be conducted, and he and he says, I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man in the church. Now, the problem is that the Lutheran church, at least a very, very large part of the Lutheran church, threw away the Bible a long time ago. They've been ordaining women for a very, very long time. Um, There's all kinds of doctrinal issues. Uh, It's one of the reasons that the Lutheran church is is practically dead uh, and producing very, very little. There are real faithful Lutherans, Lutherans that love the Lord with all their heart, uh, they're Lutheran to the core, and, and you know, they just can't break away. But believe me, they're not being fed the word. Um, they're, they're, they're not being able to grow in their knowledge of God and of his will for their lives uh, simply because uh, the, the larger part of the Lutheran church has just decided the Bible is just a guideline and, and really doesn't have uh, much more authority. Again, there are faithful Lutherans. I want to repeat that. Uh, people say, why are you bashing Lutherans? I'm not. It's simply that we need to be taught. And they would know, if they cared about the Bible, they would know that ordaining women as pastors is certainly not in the will of God and that they're actually in rebellion against God's um, will for worship in his church. I think something that we need to remember, Alan, is that Jesus is the head of the church. That means it belongs to him we who are servants in the church take orders. So we don't get to impose our 21st century Western standards on the Word of God. We, we, we simply don't have that privilege. So what we do is we follow the Lord. So pray for them and uh, um, give him the reference. Let him come up with his own conclusions. But it's pretty hard to argue with that because in context it is as clear as it can possibly be. That answer your question, Ellen? That that answered it pretty completely. I appreciate it. <laughs> Thank you, Alan. God bless you. God bless you. Okay, let's go to a question from Jeremiah. Well, this is a good question following Alan's question. He says, Is it possible to have unity with churches who do not accept the Bible as the Word of God? Um, Jeremiah, my answer is no, it's not possible of unity. You have different standards of, of operation. You have different, um, um, authorities. Um, you know, when a church doesn't accept the word of God, uh, as such, uh, then there is no authority and people can do whatever they want to do. And um, this idea of, well, you know, God wants us to be one like Jesus and his father were one. And he prayed for that kind of unity. Um, Yeah, but he wants unity in the truth. And um, any church that refuses to accept the Bible as the word of God is not only untrue, false by definition, but it's also apostate. I mean, a a church that doesn't accept the Bible is the, the authority for life and, and practice. You, you might as well be going to an Elks Club or a Moose Lodge because it's just a bunch of people gathering together for a time of, of being social. And Jeremiah, it's simply impossible 
to be one with someone who trashes and by throwing it away, that's what they're doing. They trash um, what we're told is the very word of God. So I would not be involved in ministry with a church that didn't accept the word of God as the authority. Uh, there's, there's nothing in common. And in most cases, um, Jeremiah, they're, they're, the people that belong to churches like that are not born-again Christians. So uh, there are exceptions. God is a remnant everywhere. But remember, the word, the word, the word, the word. You know, since we don't have anybody on the line waiting, let me take a minute to, to, to talk about this. You know, we're at the end of a year. And it's always a good thing to go back and reflect on what God has done this year. I'm just going to give you a couple of examples, and, and these have happened continually. Um, just a few days ago, uh, I was giving, um, um, uh, it was Sunday, um, a message. Now, this, this goes back the week before last. And a young man, um, younger than me, everybody who's younger than me, I call a young man. Um, he asked if he could set up an appointment to talk to me. And he's been coming to church here for several years, um, not born again, um, a, a little bit of a skeptic, uh, but living in his parents' home, a grown man living in his parents' home. They required him to come to church, and he did. Uh, his mom and dad were very, very consistent. And so when he wanted to talk to me, we made an appointment. He came back the next day, and I said, so what's on your heart? And he said, I think I'm beginning to believe this. I said, you're believing in Jesus. I think I am. I just have some questions. And so we sat there for 30 or 40 minutes and I answered some questions and he said, well, I think I got the information I need. And as he stood up, I said, well, wait a minute. Are you ready to do this right now to ask Jesus to be your Lord and Savior? And he looked at me and said, oh, Pastor Ron, I am so ready. That's Jeremiah because of the word. On Friday at service here, we had a couple, again, a young couple who has been listening to the radio program. Um, a believer, but in sin. He and his girlfriend were living together. And the word of God being proclaimed simply convicted his heart. He got to the point where he couldn't take it anymore. At the end of service on Friday, I was able to marry them. And you should have seen the look on the young woman's face. It was like when he kissed her. I said, you may now kiss your bride. When he kissed her, you should see. It was like she was safe finally. And I could go over countless dozens, hundreds over our years of situations like that simply because the Word of God allows the Spirit of God to convict the heart. And Jeremiah, to have any kind of an agreement or relationship with somebody in, in, in ministry who doesn't believe that the Bible is the Word of God, that would in and of itself be disunity. hope that makes sense to you. It really does to me. One of the things the Lord has been speaking to my heart about and. Uh, those of you who listen to this radio program know uh, I'm pretty direct, but I'm even more direct at church. I really love these people, and and I'm direct. And the Lord's been speaking in my heart about going forward in 2020 and saying he wants me to be even more direct and bolder. And I thought, well, how could I be any bolder? How could I be any more direct? Now, I don't yell. I don't raise my voice and nothing like that. That's not what he's talking about. But he, he wants me to allow him to tell people the truth and let him convict them. And there's just too many people sitting in church every Sunday who believe they're saved who really have no relationship at all with God. He wants me to tell them. So I think it's really important Jeremiah, to hold firm to the Word of God. 340-9585. Let's go to Cindy on line one. Cindy, thank you for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. Um, Happy New Year to you and Mama Paula. Since I won't thank get to you, talk. Thank you, Cindy. And to you. Oh, thank you. Um, now, Simeon, it, this guy just really fascinates me. Now, okay, Luke. 
chapter two, um, 25, it talks about um, Mary and Joseph taking Jesus to uh, the temple court. And Simeon is going to, they're going to present him to Simeon. And then where it says, okay, verse 29 in chapter 2, it says, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people. And this is my part of what I'm asking about. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory to your people Israel. Now, my two questions are... One was Simeon, it says he was a righteous man earlier. Now, was he part of the entourage in, in the courts and the temple, or was he just like one of the really good guys that went? And the other uh, question I have is, if he, since it's all Jews and they, they didn't let Gentiles in there, would the other Jews have gotten mad at him for saying uh, a light for revelation to the Gentiles? <laughs> have annoyed them. So those are my questions, and um, I'll get off the phone and listen. Thank you, Cindy. God, God bless you for asking. You know, um, every time the, the word Gentile would come up in the temple, um, Jews would get riled up. Um, you know, it, it's hard for us to imagine uh, you know, we we can look at, at a political thing, left and right, and how they can never talk to each other. They just talk at each other, and, and they get angry at one another. All you have to do is watch any local news station, any news station at all, and you see just people arguing about things. Well, well, if, in fact, the word Gentile was brought up, especially in connection with the plan of God, um, uh, Gentiles would, would tear their clothing. They would... Uh, be be overwhelmed with with grief and anger uh, because it was just unthinkable. We can't imagine how unthinkable it was for a Jew to accept the concept that Gentiles were part of God's plan, and and that's just the way it was. In fact, uh, the outer court of the temple that's where the the business took place, and and that's where women and Gentiles could come and be a part of the daily commerce. But but going into the holy place, not the most holy place, but going into the next area of the temple, there was a sign that said, uh, any Gentile caught beyond this point will be killed. And and that that's how vehemently they opposed any thought of Gentile inclusion. Now, in this particular case, I think it was slightly different only because Simeon was a man who was really, really... Um, loved um, um, a righteous man. That doesn't mean that he was perfect. It doesn't mean that he was was um, uh, had official duties there. Um, but but righteous simply refers to a heart that was right with God. This was a man who loved God. Uh, this is a man who, by faith, was saved. And I say that, Cindy, because he was looking forward to the coming of the Christ. And in fact, he was so diligent in waiting that he would be there every day just thinking that this could be the day. Now, I tell our church here all the time that that today could be the day that Jesus comes for his church. And we need to live our lives in a righteous manner because today could be the day. And Simeon lived his life out. He was looking forward to the, the Christ, the Messiah coming. So much so, in fact, that he had been told by the Lord, the Holy Spirit in some way communicated this to him, that he wouldn't die until he saw the Christ. And when he holds the baby Jesus, that didn't mean Simeon had understanding that the Christ was going to come and be a baby. But when they brought him the baby, the Spirit once again spoke to him. And that's why he said, now you can dismiss your servant in peace, Lord. I have seen the consolation of Israel. It's just a wonderful, wonderful story. I'm interested, Cindy, that, that you mentioned that. Uh, I was, I'm was i trying to, to suggest, I was going to say influence, but that's too strong a word. I w- I'm trying to suggest that next year, uh, we do our Christmas play. Uh, this year we did it from the perspective of Joseph, uh, Mary's betrothed. Um, but uh, next year I thought, well, just 
try to put something together and maybe we can tell the Christmas story from Simeon and Anna's perspective. And I think that would be a great opportunity. So, Cindy, I hope that answers your question. Thanks very much for calling and Happy New Year to you. 340-9585. Here is a question from our email inbox from Efren. Uh, Pastor Ron, can you dissect Hebrews 6, 1 for me? I feel that when the author writes, therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God. I take it that the not laying again means repeating the same mistakes as far as disobedience goes as a believer. Am I correct in this understanding? No, Ephraim, I don't think you are. And I think the application works. But uh, he's talking about um, Christians who have been spiritually lazy. Um, he, he tells them before that, he says, look, by now, uh, many of you ought to be teachers, but, but you still need the milk of the word when you should be desiring the solid word. So what he's saying, and, and this is just a gentle rebuke, uh, he's saying that what we need to do is get past the baby stuff in Christ and let Jesus take you forward in maturity in your faith uh, we shouldn't have to come and talk about the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and a faith in God. You already know those things. So when he says that, he's actually scolding them. And and this is, a, I'm 100% convinced, this is the Apostle Paul writing. He's saying, God has a plan for you. You're under persecution. And right now, you ought to be Sorry, strong enough to deal with it. Could you please repeat what you said? <laughs> I don't know why that happened, but Siri heard my voice and asked, answered a question. So my phone is down, I promise. Uh, but uh, it, it's not um, repeating the same mistakes as far as disobedience. It's just being stuck in an immature place as a Christian. Good question, Efren. Thank you very, very much. Let's go to... We've got James from Seguin on line two. James, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Uh, yes, uh, Brother Ron, I really kind of have two different questions, and I didn't know if I should save one for another day. But uh, I was wanting some um, references, if there are any, for the Old Testament as far as uh, reference to hell. Uh, it's discussed very well, I, I think, very descriptively in the New Testament. But I was having problems finding reference to it or even a reference to there being um, uh, much of a life after death. I mean, death kind of seemed to have a pretty uh, final sort of uh, thought, you know, when it came to uh, the Jews, um, from what I'm reading. And so I was Mm -hmm. wondering if you could just, I want to have a better perspective of that a little bit deeper, and I, and I, I don't. Okay. What's the other question, James? I'll I'll take time with that. Oh, well, uh, and, and the other question, and the other question is, I, I was curious because there's so many verses in the New Testament, uh, whether it's Timothy or Corinthians, where it discusses uh, women in regards to worship services. Um, mm-hmm. it, was that more along the lines of that particular time and the position that women held in society? Um, uh, or was it specifically addressing a question like uh, some people oh, that were James just... Uh, I think I'm no, so James, I, I hope you can... We, we lost you there for a minute, James. Oh, I'm sorry. Can you hear me? I can hear you now. The last part well, of your question. And I was curious... I was curious that whether or not, uh, like, for instance, in Corinthians, if, if Paul was just addressing a specific issue with a specific church... Um, I just was wondering if you could give me a, a little bit of, of your thought in, in that regard and the application of that for today as far as uh, women in the church. I can do that, James. Thank you very much. And I'll deal with that question just on the other side of the break uh, because I'll go into a little bit of detail on that. And we only have a, a little over a minute left in this half of the program. Uh, James, regarding Old Testament uh, references to hell, or or even the the Old Testament saints and their their um, uh, relationship to eternity, uh, I, I think the fact that the references are minimal um, uh, is is intentional. Uh, you see, people that lived before Christ, they didn't have the understanding that we do regarding eternity. 
you know, when it says over and over in the Old Testament that he was buried with his fathers, um, that doesn't mean that he's in heaven. It just means the state of death was considered finality. Uh, when David uh, seemed to have a little bit of a concept, he said uh, of his son who died, he said, um, uh, he can't come to me, but I can go to him. So David, the sweet psalmist of Israel, would have had a little bit deeper understanding uh, of eternity than others, but still it was incomplete. So it was simply um, um, information they didn't have, and because they didn't have it, obviously there would be a lot of references. When Jesus comes, he gives us light that they didn't have. So good question, and I will get to the other question on the other side of the break. It's Monday. Uh, we're live here on AM 630 The Word, 340-9585. We'll be back on the other side of the break. We'll see you in two minutes. If you have questions about the Bible, you can send them to Pastor Ron and he'll answer them on the air or reply directly to you. Email your questions to PastorRonKSLR at gmail.com. That's PastorRonKSLR at gmail.com. Back to the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the program. We have 30 minutes left this year, live anyway. We're going to be here tomorrow rebroadcasting on the first Wednesday with a rebroadcast, and then we'll get back to our regular schedule. But this is our last live half hour of 2019. Let me get right to James' other question uh, because he asked an important question and sometimes when people are dealing with this women pastor thing especially, uh, they'll think, well, why does it say here and it says here and that was only for those times. Um, We have a hermeneutic tool, James, that tells us when Uh, something is once for all. In in other words, uh, a foundation being established going forward. It's Jesus' church. He gets to make the rules. We don't get to question the rules. And then when, uh, the difference when, uh, he's addressing only a local situation. Now, in his letter to the church at Corinth, now remember these would be house churches and they were out of control. The, The church at Corinth was a carnal church. They were doing everything wrong. And they were out of order. And so when Paul says in Corinth, I do not permit a woman, I'm sorry, I, I, uh, women must be silent in the church is what he says. Um, if they have questions, let them ask their husbands. It's because in that, that Oriental culture, um, the men and women would, be, would sit on opposite sides and they were, or they were arguing. I mean, the church is completely out of order. Uh, there were there were these loud harangues that were going on across the aisles, and Paul's saying, "Look, these things that I hear about are are wrong. They're out of order. So be quiet. Don't argue with the men. Don't argue with your husband. When you go home, ask your husband, and and you you can talk about it there. Um, but but he didn't mean that women have to stay silent in churches. It's not something to be carried forward. In fact, we know that." Because we have in the New Testament church, the, the, the first century church, we have women who were prophetesses. And women, is, of course, were, were, were able to pray, encouraged to pray out loud. So it wasn't even saying, be quiet, you have nothing of value to say. Uh, he was just addressing a local situation that was out of church. Now, here's how we know the difference. When he goes in Timothy and he's talking about orderly worship, he says, I do not permit a woman to have authority over him to teach or have authority over a man in church he explains why and he goes back to genesis to lay the foundation for that there is no genesis foundation that's how we know it was a local situation he was dealing with in corinth but when he lays the the genesis foundation writing to timothy about order in the church he explains why for it was eve who was deceived in eight Adam walked into sin willfully, but but she was deceived, and this was a consequence of the fall. 
And remember, it's God's church. He makes the rules. So the hermeneutic is if there is a Genesis foundation laid for a rule for church worship, then it's a rule that's carried forward to the end of time. So if he meant it in the first century that women were not permitted to teach or have authority over a man in the church, um, then he means it today. The situation with the head coverings, the situation with the, the, the arguing back and forth, the out-of-order church in Corinth, they were completely different situations, and we need to understand that. That's why we're told James, uh, to, to rightly divide the Word of God, to study, to show ourselves to proves. Uh, to show ourselves approved. And when we do that, then uh, we're in a good position to um, make and understand the doctrine of the church. Good questions. I appreciate it very, very much. Here is a question from uh, Anonymous. Um, It's a statement, actually. Uh, I have begun to hate going to church because of the focus on politics and then he or she says, what can I do? Uh, change churches, Anonymous. I would hate going to church, too, if it just turned into a, a so-called spiritual version of Fox News. Uh, we don't come to church to talk about politics. We don't come to church to talk about voting or, or about which candidate is closer to God. That's not the purpose of going to church at all. And when we think that we've completely lost our way, we go to church to be equipped to do the work of ministry. That's Ephesians chapter 4. And we do that by teaching the Word of God, letting the Holy Spirit work through the Word of God. And then what happens is that we um, we grow in our faith, unlike the, the, the church of the Hebrews that uh, I was just asked about by Ephraim. Uh, they didn't grow. They stayed immature. Well, people that go to churches that are preaching politics are, are immature. It's that simple. So what can you do? I'm going to change it to what you must do, and it's you need to change churches. You know, talk to your pastor if you've invested a lot of time in your church. Just say, you know, I'm tired of talking about politics. I've come to hear about Jesus. I've come to grow in my faith. And if your pastor is unwilling to change then you've got to find a new church. Go to a place where you can grow. Go to a place that will allow you to use the gifts that God has given you. That's how important it is. So um, I understand. I would hate to go to church. I'd need to even go to my church if what I talked about was politics. Um, what a mess. Church is a refuge, a place to be strengthened in our walk with Jesus. Good question. Here is... We have Jeff calling on line one from San Antonio. Jeff, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. Hi, Jeff. How are you? I'm blessed, thank you. And I was just making a list over this past weekend of the the blessings that my wife and I have experienced in 2019. And I, I just want to tell you that meeting you and Paula and Pastor Ken and Pastor Brian and Pastor Sam, and, and Sam, not of this world, Sam. Um, <laughs> just uh, they, they're they're up there as, as highlights of 2019. I just want to thank you. Getting, getting finally getting my arms around you, give you a hug, man. That was awesome. Thank you. <laughs> uh, that was nice, Jeff, to see you at Joy of Jesus, you and your wife. Uh, I tell you, you married way o- over your head, so uh, I think that was great. So thank you. And, and and what a great thing, a great practice to to look back on a year and think about all the things that we have to be grateful for. So God bless you for doing that with your wife. You bet. Um, and that kind of leads me to my comment. Um, uh, your, your teaching from Second Kings on Friday was just just wonderful. I know you said it was for Calvary, San Antonio, but I, I really believe that that message is really clear for the church, you know, worldwide. And, you know, that that we as a church, that we're, we're losing our edge, yeah. and that the message, if it's urgent, it has to be truthful. And also, I wonder if you just talk a little bit about, in the context of you, Pastor Ron, uh, but also as the t- church ratcheting up in 2020. And and uh, if you would if you would talk about that a little bit, and also I went to my dictionary and my concordance, and I cannot find spiritual cooties anywhere. 
Yeah, you know, some things come out of my mouth, Jim. I don't even know they're in there until they come out. So thank God that they're not gross things. But I, I think it made the point. So <laughs> thanks, you. Thank you, Jim. All right. Well, we'll yeah, talk I, to you next year and, and hugs to all of you. Love you. God bless. Safe and happy New Year to you and your wife. All right. Um, Bye-bye. Thank you. Je- Jeff pointed out, um, made reference to the message. Now, now Jeff watches online. He's... Uh, involved in ministry heavily and I appreciate that he that he watches but but I gave a message uh, for our church um, that that I believe the Lord laid on my heart uh, for Friday Friday is always New Testament uh, Bible studies here but um, we'd finished with Hebrews uh, the week or week before and uh, I just felt like the Lord had a good year in message for us and and it was to protect our edge to protect our edge we lose our edge so easily you know we start looking at the bible and oh i know what it says and we're not letting it cut you know uh, hebrews chapter 4 says the word of god is living and active it divides between spirit and soul the things that are of god and the things that are of flesh and and we lose our edge the story of course is uh elisha uh, who was asked by the students at the school of the prophets we would we would consider that sort of like a bible college uh, in our culture, uh, these are young men who wanted to, to to serve God. They wanted to learn more about God. They worked very hard at it, and and uh, evidently God was blessing the work. and 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 He says uh, to Elisha, "The place that we're meeting is too small for us." Believe me, I understand that. I empathize with that. But He said, uh, we, "We're going to go and build a, another place. Will you come?" And Elisha said, "Yeah, I'll come." And right in the middle of the work. This young man uh, was whacking away with an axe, and the axe head fell off, and it fell into the muddy water of the Jordan. And uh, and he goes, oh, my Lord, speaking to Elisha, he said, my axe head, and it's borrowed. Now, that's an extreme thing in that ancient culture. Uh, an axe head was rare. It was very valuable. This young man who borrowed it uh, would have to pay for it. It would be far above his ability to, to, to pay and in the process he's panicking and Elisha says where did it fall not give me the general area where exactly did it fall and he said it fell right there and Elisha threw in a, a stick and the axe head floated so it's a little miracle by, by the standards of the miracles of the Old Testament but it's an important one because a lot of us, we lose our edge. It's like he lost his edge. Now, he lost his edge because of carelessness. He should have taken care of somebody else's property uh, better than he did. Uh, in that day, axe heads were, were, were tied on. They, they, they weren't put together like axes today. I mean, he couldn't just go to a hardware store and buy another one. So he should have taken better care of it. But he was so excited about the work that he just started chopping and the axe head fell off and now he's got a problem. Well, a lot of us, we lose our edge in serving the Lord. He was doing a good thing, but he needed to do it God's way. What we do is we serve the Lord, we do it on our terms, and we think, well, that's enough. It's not. We're losing our edge. We lose our edge, as I said a moment ago in the Word. We lose our edge in prayer. We men especially, we lose our edge at home. You know, we serve and we, we work, bring our families to church, but we forget that at home we're to serve them. And, and the result is a dull edge. And that usually leads to a lukewarm walk with the Lord. We know what Jesus said to the church at Laodicea about being lukewarm. It makes him sick. So my exhortation, and that's really what the Bible study was this past Friday night, it was a, um, uh, an exhortation to sharpen your edge. And in 2020, um, we need to pay attention to the small things. We need to commit to being in the Word. We need to commit to spending time in prayer with the Lord, just talking to Him. We need to make sure that he's the center and the purpose of our lives, not 
us, not what we want to do. And in these last days, I told our church, I think it's really important because Jesus is coming in that we work to sharpen our edges. And I hope the message hit home in a lot of hearts. I think it did. We had a lot of response in prayer Friday night and lots of comments about the, the message the next day. So if you're interested in listening to it, it's it's uh, at our website, calvaryessay.com. I say all the time our stuff is all free, and we would love uh, love it if you wanted to go see it. Here's a question from Abraham. He said, Pastor Ron, does honoring your mother and father as an adult mean you have to pursue their plans instead of your own? Abraham, no. The way we honor our mother and father, especially if they've raised you to know Christ, is to follow the will of God. You know, we honor our father and mother with our tone of voice, with our speech. We honor our mother and father in our hearts. We, we serve when we get the opportunity. But remember, husband and wife are to leave the mother and the father and cling to one another as two become one flesh. So there's still that separation. But, but honoring your mother and father doesn't mean if your dad wants you to be a doctor and, and you don't want to be a doctor, um, the way to approach that and do it in an honorable way is say, I appreciate that you want the best for me, but you raised me to to trust Jesus. And I'm going to do what God's will for my life is. And there's no greater gift you could give. Now, they may give you some flack. They may not want that for you, but, you know, if their faith is weak, if their plans take priority over God's plans, well, then you have an opportunity to witness to them, and certainly by doing that, you're honoring them as well. Honoring your mother and your father never means doing what they tell you to do. It means that you honor them, you love them. As best you're able, you take care of them. Certainly means that you respect them and treat them with dignity. But no, it does not mean that they have authority in your life. You have a father, Abraham, in heaven who has authority over your life, and he's the one that we should follow. Good question. I like that. AJ asks, why would God, if he is all-knowing, and AJ he is, why would God, if he's all-knowing, put the tree in the garden since he knew that Adam and Eve would fall? Well, AJ, here's the, the deal with God. He, he always gives us a choice. God never compels service. God never compels love or relationship. He offers it, and then he leaves it to us to make the choice. Now, think about the Garden of Eden. It was perfect. He said, all these trees are yours. You can do anything with you want. You can eat from them. Uh, every tree in the garden is good and eat, except this one. That was what I call, A.J., the tree of choice. Um, this is a tree that by avoiding, Adam and Eve would have been saying, God, we love you more than we love the prospect of that fruit from that tree. We love you. God gave them a choice. He's given every human being since them a choice. And God knew what they would do, but they still had to be given a choice. Again, God never compels us to love. He could make us like little robots that go around and just do only what he tells us to do. But he wants us to demonstrate that we love him, knowing he first loved us, by making the choice to serve him instead of serve ourselves, instead of serving evil, instead of doing what we want. God, I love you so much. I want to do what you want me to do. And that's why he planted the tree there. AJ, let me bring this sort of into our culture. You know, we uh, raise children and it's a huge emphasis in going to college. One of our, one of our brightest young men, I'm going to be praying for him Sunday. He's getting ready to leave uh, for uh, for college. Um, he has um, been accepted as a film student at USC in Los Angeles. Uh, it is a school that is so, so difficult to get into. Uh, less than 3% of the applicants go. He's truly gifted in this area of film and production. And, and, and he's received a full scholarship to go. Um, and this is a kid that loves God with all of his heart. 
This is a kid that knows Jesus. He's made that choice. Well, I promise you, when he goes to college, there's going to be a lot of tree of choices in his life. Now, I'm confident, knowing this young man, he's going to make the right choices. But believe me, his love for God is going to be tested. Why? Because God is working in and through him. And he's going to have to reinforce, as an adult, this can't be mom and dad's faith. He's going to have to reinforce in his life that, no, I'm doing this because I love you, God. And when we send people to college, college that try to destroy the faith of our children, um, that's their tree of choice. And we got to choose. God doesn't make us. But he gives us the opportunity. A.J., that's why he would put the tree in the garden. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. Tracy says, I know grace covers all sin, but why then can we not stop sinning? Um, Tracy, we can't stop sinning. I mean, we can stop sinning. We have the power to stop sinning available to us all the time. But the truth is that as long as we're in these human bodies, there's a war going on in us. The spirit is at war with the flesh. The flesh is at war with the spirit. That's why Paul says, walk in the spirit and you will not satisfy the lusts of the flesh. Um, And yet that battle rages on. And because we are going to fight that battle until we're with Jesus, that's when, that's when the battle stops. We have to make the choice every day when we're tempted not to sin. And frankly, there are just people who think they can stop on their own. I'm good, I'm strong, I can do this. We can in my flesh, the Bible says, is no good thing. But we're going to sin, we're going to fall. At the same time, we don't have to. So here's what I want you to think about. I want you to think about just because we're going to sin doesn't mean we have to. And Jesus said that we should aim for perfection. So let's try to walk with Jesus all day, every day. And then when we fail, John says, we have an advocate. One who pleads our case. And if we confess our sins, he, God, is faithful and just to forgive us and purify us from all unrighteousness. So he's given us not only the power to avoid sin, but he's given us the formula if we fail and do sin. So the fact that we can't stop sinning is never an excuse to sin. What then shall we say, Paul says, because grace abounds, our sin abounds, grace all the more abounds, should we, should we then go ahead and sin because grace is available? King James translation is best as God forbid, No. We should be so grateful that we don't have to sin, that we work all the harder in the presence of God by the power of God to not sin any longer. Today, Lord, I want to serve you. Today, I don't want to mess up. Today, I ask for your help and your strength. And then when you mess up, you say, oh, I'm so sorry, God, let's start over. And he says, happily, let's do that. Here's an anonymous question. I don't know how long we've got. Just under four, Just under four minutes. Okay, this is probably the last one of the day. Uh, Pastor Ron, what would you say to someone with same-sex attraction but wants to follow God? One person I know believes she was always attracted to other women and is mad at God because she can't pursue a loving relationship. Um, what I would say to to this person that you know is that the same-sex attraction is 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 it, it it comes with the fall. It certainly was never God's plan in a perfect world, the world that God created. That wouldn't be the case. But the person who is attracted to someone of the same gender, well, I would say to her or to him the same thing. I would say to someone who says, "Well, you know, I just really like to drink. God made me wanting to drink, so I drink too much." I'd say, "No, you got to stop. You got to say no to you, so you can say yes to God." And in so doing, anonymous, what what your friend would be doing is is pledging her love for God. Now, whenever anybody says I'm mad at God, they are always wrong. She can pursue a loving relationship, but that loving relationship has to be with Jesus Christ. It's that simple. She may identify as someone who is attracted to women sexually, 
But then she has to say, well, God, I know that displeases you. And what I really want to do is please you. And, and then when the power of the Holy Spirit comes about, it's great. Let me recommend somebody that you can can uh, listen to. You, she's got a lot of stuff on YouTube, um, but she's a really gifted teacher and conference speaker and things. She's a young woman, an African-American woman named Jackie Hill Perry. And and uh, she comes out of the homosexual lifestyle. Um, she talks about not only same-sex attraction, but her, her identity when she was a practicing homosexual. And the wrestling match that she had with God. Uh, she's now married and has a child. Uh, it doesn't mean that God is going to change everybody uh, and remove the, the, the same-sex attraction. What it means is that when we are obedient to God, there's no telling what God is going to do. So let her know that God loves her, that this was never his plan, and now the choice is her. As an adult, she's got to make the choice. And the choice is, do I want to satisfy me, or do I want to satisfy God? And I promise you that loving Jesus will create a relationship so passionate, so intimate, that she will be more than satisfied. God's grace is sufficient. And I know that, Anonymous, because the Apostle Paul had to deal with exactly the same thing. He was celibate. And he had to pursue his calling. And God's grace was always sufficient. Hey, great program today. Thank you for calling. I appreciate your prayers. We will not be live tomorrow or Wednesday. We will be back with Paula on Thursday. You've been listening to the Word to Stand Up for Life. Have a great, safe, and happy new year. And recover your edge. God bless you. See you next See you Thursday. See you next year. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The word to stand on for life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Ron,